Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando. I am your host today, folks. Uh, good to good to be here. Um, it is a uh, a little bit of a blustery day at the studio here in Bloomington, Indiana, and uh, we got uh, our, our our crews out. You guys got your crews out. Um, you know, I hope you got some company swag that keep, that's keeping them warm. You know, some nice hats or something. Uh, it's a uh, it's uh, this time of year is always um, always interesting. There's um, so many things to consider. Some of you are still busy and you're booked up till spring and that's great. Others, not so much. And it's these days, these kinds of days where plugging into education, plugging into learning how to grow your business, learning how to manage the ups and downs, that is what paint ed is for that is what the pca is for and we have got so many cool things um, in store for the new year new video trainings new um you know new business uh training cohorts a lot of cool stuff going on um including expo expo is coming up this february in a couple in a few weeks here and uh man I, I i've told you guys i can't be there this year but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't i i would i would not miss expo if it weren't for having a baby i'm, I'm really excited about that you know mama comes first um so what we're going to do today and what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, we've been having some of the guests on that are going to be speaking at Expo. Uh, we've had Alan Langer. We've had Eric Foz. We've had um, uh, Matt Kuyper. Okay, really cool folks that are going to come on um, upcoming. I've got uh, Tom Reber coming up on the show later on in the schedule. But today we have Mr. Mark Nelson from Paris Painting, one of the inside guys that makes the uh, the ever so famous Paris Painting and, and Olive Group so effective. And I, I got to tell you, uh, a number of years ago, um, I was, uh, Jason Paris invited me to his shop or to his office rather. And, um, it was, it was really interesting to, to see. Cause you know, at the time they were, you know, emerging as, you know, one of these, uh, you know, high growth painting companies. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, especially at that time, I remember Jason in particular talking about this idea of failing through the growth, like this idea of failing rapidly so that you could get to the point of finding what works. And I and I walked in and I and I saw their big old whiteboard and then, uh, you know, and in comes this guy, Mark, uh, you know, just a, 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 you know, kind of a, a good looking, you know, white kid just uh, spouting out Spanish, running a mile minute, uh, <laughs> on the phone, talking to all these people in Spanish. And I'm like, man, this office is crazy. They were, they were really doing it. They were running and gunning. And the thing that kind of stood out to me more than anything wasn't actually the, the systems. Now we know that, that, you know, that Jason Paris and, and his whole team is, uh, you know, very, very much on the cutting edge of, of developing systems and things like that. But the thing that I noticed most of all, as I looked at the people that were there, I thought to myself, each one of these guys, if they were out on their own, they'd be running a million dollar business. The quality of hires that they have in that office, I was just, um, uh, it just was, I was acutely aware of the quality 
of, of human beings that were in that office and how smart they were and how driven they were. And so I'm really excited to, to bring Mark on today. Um, before we bring him on, a couple of uh, announcements. Of course, if you are wanting to um, listen to this episode in podcast form, maybe you're watching the video right now, go ahead and subscribe um, on uh, it's Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, sorry. It's on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, anywhere that you are listening to your podcast, make sure that you subscribe. And if you're already subscribed as an audio listener, make sure that you download PCA Overdrive where you can watch the video content. Not only do you get all of the podcasts that are featured on the Paint Ed uh, network, you know, you get my show, the, the Paint Ed podcast, you get, um, you get PCA Today, you get uh, Ask a Painter, Brothers of the Brush, marketing masterminds business elite all of those great shows um, are available in video format on pca overdrive go to pcapaintedorg to download it or find it in the app store um what else could i tell you guys about uh i don't know you know i the the topic of today is is on my mind and, and i've been a little bit vocal about my beliefs in sub, uh, you know, when it comes to subcontracting, um, the debate of subcontracting versus employee—it's um, not only a debate that rages on in our industry. Um, it's a debate that that goes on in Congress. Um, it, it's a debate that happens on the on state level politics. Um, if you live in if you live in California. Uh, and you're a paint uh, a paint contractor. This show might not even be for you because you can't run subs out there. Uh, but there are other places that you can. And um, you know, I've kind of personally taken a stand that I I think that the subcontractor model is often more harmful than helpful. But there are obviously people who are making it work, and they're obviously subcontractors who are happy with the arrangement. And so I'm not completely closed off to this idea. I'm not completely closed off to it, um, but I'm going to bring the heat on this uh, in this conversation. And I hope that Mark is ready. Um, it, no, I, I'm not really going to like bring the heat that hard. You know me, I just, I, I keel over. <laughs> No, but we're going to talk. We're going to talk about it. I have some concerns. Um, I've ran subcontractor in the past. Um, I've done hybrid model. I've done employee model. Um, so I've got a lot of questions and, uh, and, and I think that we're going to get some good answers. And for those of you who are either running the sub model or you're considering it, um, if you're going to do it, I think you should learn from some, from a company that is, if, if they're going to be doing it, you know, right, then I, I think that Paris painting is, is, is the model to look at. So I'm excited to have this conversation and uh, I hope you are too. So let's go ahead without further ado, bring on Mr. Mark Nelson to the show. Mark, welcome to Paint Ed, my friend. How are you? Good, Torlando. I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I uh, I hope I didn't intimidate you with my with my strong hey. stance. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm ready. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet because you know you guys have uh, you guys have a strong um, you know track record and uh, every reason to be confident in this conversation. And I think that um, you know a lot of people are going to be really excited for this. Um, one thing I want to, you know, kind of pull out and, and in particular with your your background and history, um, there are a lot of companies in our industry who they come in at, at it from a standpoint of, you know, I'm a salesperson and I want to find a business to run and painting seems like it's always hard to find a good painter. And so they start this uh, business and they use the sub model because it's easier for them on the business side to manage. Um, but you have a little bit more of a background than that in painting. You want to tell us a little bit about your history and how you came into the painting industry? 
Yeah, for sure. I think it's a little unorthodox, but I, I went to a four-year college and got my uh, bachelor's degree in business and marketing. And throughout my interview recruiting process right out of school, I was asked, asked by one of my buddies if I wanted to make some money uh, painting. And I, I ultimately said yes, because I needed to earn some money while I was um, looking for a place to earn money. Um, so that's when uh, I met Jason and got connected with Jason Paris and mm -hmm. um, started with him back in 2013, I believe, uh, about nine years ago, a little over nine years ago. Um, and I had no idea how to paint, you know, inside, outside, how to clean out a brush. I knew nothing about that. I just knew that um, I could make some money and I could, you know, move my body and uh, do something that ultimately like some extrinsic satisfaction comes about with that. And for me, that was huge. So um, started the summer fall of 2013. And then uh, I've been, or I, I had been painting in the field for about three years, um, interior, exterior, fine finishing, you know, stains, varnishes, enamels, uh, epoxies, you name it. I was trained and uh, apprenticed by a, um, a very high level craftsperson. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was blessed by having that, um, him as a, as a, as a teacher. Um, and then that's when Jason started making a move towards adding a couple subcontractors and trying to experiment with that model. And, uh, there is a need for management and more of a, um, a liaison between a subcontractor and, and Paris painting. So I stepped into that role and from there Paris painting grew. And, um, as Paris painting grew, I, I grew in my knowledge of not only painting but business and leadership and um yeah from there started uh, the business started growing rapidly and i think you touched on it there's a lot of pain in mm -hmm. in that growth the high growth um but we you know that's how you learn and that's how you kind of take the next step forward after the pain so from there i started leading subcontractors managing them and then um one thing led to another and now we have seven project managers that I lead and four, four coordinators. So, um, it's been a journey. It's been a tough journey, but, um, a yeah. lot of the things are so, so valuable learning experiences along the way. So that's kind of a snapshot of my story. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, I mean, I, I really respect that, you know, as a, as a, a, a trained painter myself, you know, I, I, I really value the people who are in the business who know it and why that's important for me is, is because I, I deeply care about the worker. And I think that, you know, like, you know, back in the day when I played football, I always had a, I, I had this coach who would always say like, we're never going to make you do something that we either didn't do ourselves when we were your age or wouldn't, you know, aren't willing to do today. And that always helped me to get through it. And I think that having a, a deep understanding of what it's actually like to be in the trenches ultimately makes you a, a better leader. And, um, and, you know, when it comes to working with subcontractors in particular, you know, I, part of what I don't like about it, to be honest, is that I feel like it puts a lot of the responsibilities that a business, um, you know, should have and should hold, um, you know, a lot of the resources that a business has in terms of administrative functions, being able to, uh, deal with payroll taxes, being able to, to, you know, keep compliant, um, you know, with insurances and workers comp, um, you know, all of those things are times that are, those things take time that an office administrator has, whereas a person working in the field, um, they're busy working in the field and it's, and it's, it's <laughs> difficult to manage those things and keep those things in, in compliance. And so, you know, I think that it's easy for somebody who is kind of a, a glorified salesperson to come in and say, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, run with subs and, and they can all handle that and I'll just collect the check. Um, but to have somebody who has been in the trenches and knows it, Hopefully that brings about a, a culture of greater empathy when, when you're thinking and considering, um, you know, what it, what it's like to actually be a worker. So let me ask you this, um, 
you know, how do you, when you're, when you're, when you guys were experimenting with this, you know, sub versus employee model, what were the underlying factors that made you guys decide to lean more heavily, uh, subcontractor? Um, yeah, the, I think there are a couple reasons. One reason, or, you know, I quickly found out that a lot of the best painters in our area are subcontractors or they run their own entity. Um, so that's the first thing when I started working with subs, uh, I had initially thought that their quality was subpar. You know, that's what I thought. And coming into helping or assisting or supporting Jason and managing subcontractors and those relationships, I quickly found out that they're, they're very skilled. Um, obviously just like employees, you have people that are very raw in their skills and talents and people who are very experienced. And that's the same thing with subcontractors. So that's something that I quickly learned and very, very much appreciated. Um, but I think also as a business, um, growing by, uh, by using a subs and, and having those relationships with subcontractors, um, it's a speed to growth. Um, you do have the opportunity and the, the avenue to grow fast, um, which I can explain later the pitfalls of that as well. Um, mm -hmm. But those are the those are the couple two the two things that really stood out, stood out to me as we've grown and experimented with both using subcontractors and employees. And just to be clear, we also have employees. So we we employ eight to ten painters uh, in, in Paris painting, and and we're actually looking to. Um, hire and onboard more internal W-2s or employees, because I do believe that there's value in having a div diverse portfolio of labor. And mm -hmm. um, I've kind of learned, you know, what that, what that entails and why it's valuable over the past probably two or three years. Um, so that we do run both, but I think the subcontractor model, we quickly realized that if we have a business model, that focuses on the subcontractor. Um, our success is, is and I, I know Nick Slavic and Jason talk about this, but it's not, are you better than the next company? It's what's your business model and how, how effective and efficient and successful can you run your business model? And if it's, if it's tailored towards the subcontractor and you have focus on that, I think that's what really intrigued me. And, and, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, I felt like, some uh, I've had relationships and talks with other contractors, painters, subcontractors, and there's just I think right now there's a lot of subcontractors that are getting either taken advantage of or they're treated mm -hmm. poorly, and that also motivates yeah. me to like say okay I know I can I, I can I can do a lot better job of uh, how we react and interact with subcontractors than these other companies. You know, yeah. so there's some facts and some feelings along with that. But I don't know if that answers your question. It's probably two or threefold. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the, the big thing that I'm hearing here is that, um, you know, the first thing that we have to realize is that, uh, you know, these subcontractors are people and that what you found, um, you know, I think for a lot of people who struggle with subcontracting, uh, with using subcontractors, I think that they, they do tend to have issue with the quality of the results, um, and the reliability of the, of the subcontractor. Um, and so that I think often leads, um, you know, a contractor to treat them, you know, as kind of less than or separate from the team. Um, and, but then on the other hand, I think it's, it's hard to deny that, you know, the, the companies in our industry that are growing quickly are in cities where there is a larger supply of, of subcontractors. Um, uh, realistically in a, in a small town, it's, it is a little tricky to, uh, you know, find a, a large pool of, of subcontractors. And so I think, you know, some of the people that are, um, you know, have had really poor results might be suffering from that fact that like just the talent pool, um, varies, you know, city by city and state by state. Um, but you know, you guys are in Minneapolis. There's, there's a lot of people there, a lot of buildings to paint, a lot of houses to paint. And so it's, it's, you know, stands to reason that there's a, a good supply. 
And it sounds like you found that there are a lot of subcontractors that were probably trying to make a go at hanging their own shingle, you know, getting their own jobs, but just kind of struggling in that regard. And, and you were able to, to help them out. Um, how do you, um, how do you go about finding these folks? Cause, cause I'm not, here's the deal. I, I know of companies who have, um, hired people and said, I'm going to give you a 1099 and that's how you get paid here. And they're, uh, they really should be employees. Um, they're, they're, they're misclassified as workers. Um, and there's a, a the trick is like finding that, a, a company that's already a company and already crew. Um, you know, how do you go about recruiting people in that, you know, kind of upper echelon of, of subcontractor that they have their stuff together. They are quality workers. They can, you know, run a crew. They can talk to, you know, they can, they can handle customer service to a degree. You know, if, if something happens where you don't have a PM that is, uh, there immediately to, to cover every problem, how do you recruit these, uh, these quality subcontractors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I heard a couple a couple things, uh, a couple questions in that. I think the first one is how do you how do you find them, and then how do you know what their capabilities and skills are? Because there's a wide spectrum of that in the subcontracting labor force, just the, just as there are with a- employees. Um, so I, I would say um, one of my one of my main talking points at the PCA Expo session is recruiting and how do you recruit? And I think uh, there are a lot of different, there's a lot, there are a lot of different avenues or channels by which you can recruit subcontractors. But the thing to just keep in mind is it's important to know that you have to put in the effort. If you don't put in the effort and you think you're just gonna find the subcontractors and you're gonna assume that 80% are gonna be uh, qualified and ready to go, you're gonna be in for a rude awakening when you finally find out on their first or second job that they're not up for the task and now you're having to backpedal and there's more pain uh, than value. So mm-hmm. I think the, what I would say is make sure you understand that you need to put in effort, not only in the amount of time that you spend uh, recruiting, but also uh, the effort that you put into finding those channels and avenues to look for, look for subcontractors. You could, I mean, we've, and I've experienced a ton of different avenues and I, I have some of some success stories and what I think are for us and the Twin Cities metro area, what has worked for us. But I think wherever you're at, there is social media. There are going to be newspapers. Uh, there are going to be big box stores like Home Depot, Menards, other hardware stores. And there are going to be those paint supplier stores. So it might mean, you know, getting on the computer and posting in different social media groups on Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or any of those uh, platforms, or it's get out, you know, boots on the ground, go to these stores, hand out your business cards, find some painters just hanging in the parking lot and introduce yourself. And I think that's the first, what you, what you're getting towards Torlando is, Hey, these people are human too. Just like, you know, our employees are human. Everyone's human. So why not start off a relationship by that human connection? And I think a lot of subcontractors can, can sense if you're in it for just the quick buck, or if you really want to, if you really care about them and growing this relationship, between us or between you and the subcontractor. So I would say finding them, there's a lot of different avenues and I'll speak more about that at the PCA Expo, but mm-hmm. what we do as a company to understand where these subcontractors are at in their business and the skills that their people have, we take them through an, an initial conversation, which is that icebreaker conversation in the parking lot or over the phone or through email. And we set up an orientation. And in that orientation, we, uh, we have requirements of what they need to be able to move forward with orientation. So for example, we can't have an orientation with a subcontractor that doesn't have their paperwork, that doesn't have their insurances and stuff like that. So we make sure that they understand what they're coming into as far as you're not gonna be treated as an employee. That's the first and foremost, they have to know what's at stake for them. And you know, there are questions that we can ask before working with them that, will allow us to understand where they're at. 
And yeah, we ask for previous work experience. What companies have you worked for and still work for? And maybe some pictures of what they've done. But um, we, ha we have a pretty extensive orientation that lasts probably 30 minutes to 60 minutes. And uh, that's when we get to really realize, okay, what are they about? Do they know their business? Do they know how to operate their business? And uh, they're not... Uh, you know, doing it without knowing the consequences or end of year consequences when ta the tax season comes and all that stuff. So, but you still don't know, as with all interviews, you know, with a subcontractor or an employee um, or an applicant, you're never mm -hmm. gonna know exactly what they're about until they're on the job. So we're, we implement like a, a test process where we have the first couple of jobs that um, we really keep an eye on their quality and how they interact with us and then how they interact with the client if there is any interaction just so we can see does does what they said or what they say in the orientation before we start working with them does that match up to what we see and the actions that they uh, uh that that they're taking in the field so i don't know if that answers your question we just have we have a pretty good system of uh vetting out some of the subcontractors mm -hmm. just like a good recruiter is going to vet out a lot of applicants yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what's kind of coming to my mind as you talk about going, you know, just spending time in the stores and introducing yourself, not being, being afraid to open your mouth and, and just introduce yourself. It, it's reminding me of a couple, you know, very actually recent experiences where I've gone into a store and, you know, ran into, um, what, what I initially perceived to be a competitor. And, you know, we had, we had bid out, um, a, a similar job, um, and he was less than half of my price, um, which was, uh, you know, just like this time of year, you know, I care more about that because, you know, things slow down a little bit. I want those, you know, I want every job that I can get this time of year. Um, in the summertime, I don't really care. You know, I'm, I'm already pretty busy. There's always going to be low ballers and all of that. But what I, what I felt impressed to do was to just not view this person as a direct competitor, but to just look at him more as a, you know, a, just almost a colleague in the, in the industry, you know, and, and mm -hmm. kind of level up my, my respect for him. And, and so, and, and then to start a conversation and as I was talking and I've done this with two different, um, uh, painters, uh, in the past couple of weeks, um, as, as we were talking, I realized that the, the way that they diversify their schedule is by, uh, doing a lot of new construction with, uh, general contractors. And what, what occurred to me is that they are. Uh, most likely taking their GC pricing, which, you know, they get beat down on price and GC, and then they're bringing that same pricing structure into the, um, into the residential, you know, direct to consumer market. And, and that's where there's this, you know, kind of insane disparity, uh, you know, because, well, you know, it, you know, sometimes it makes sense to, to, you know, with the GCs to have, because your, your production processes are different. And so you can streamline, uh, the way that you, you do it, but you're also cutting down on marketing costs and overhead costs, you know, in, in that process. Whereas with residential, you do have to pay to market to that group. You do have to, uh, you know, pay for the extra oversight and management that goes into those projects. Um, it, it does cost more to get the job done as a, as a homeowner, um, or a direct consumer than it would as a GC. And I don't think that they realize that. And so mm -hmm. what it sounds like to me is that by kind of, you know, re, you know, changing our mindset a little bit and not viewing some of these folks that are in the store as our direct competitor, but looking, looking at them as a potential, uh, business partner, might be a, a healthy start to, to finding those, you know, quality people, because at the end of the day, they, most of them are just trying to get the work done and trying to find the work is something that is just an extra headache that, you know, if, if you're good at the other, then that might be something that, um, you know, shows a, a mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. Uh, any, any comments on, on that? Yeah. 
No, I think you're, I think you're right on. We have a lot of subcontractors that, you know, they get their business from other places and a lot of them do their own estimates. They do, they have their, their clients, their referrals, but they also want to grow their business. So if, if this guy is running their, his painting business, uh, his or her painting business, they're getting most of their, their work from, you know, their self-generated bids, or maybe they have a little bit of a marketing, marketing cost, but they realize that if they want to grow their business, they have to take on jobs from uh, a contractor uh, and their painting contractor um, in order to provide the work to grow. Right. And they, they, a lot of the subs that we work with, they understand that we do all the marketing, we do all the setting up, the talking with the client, getting the colors, the options, the work order straight away. Um, we do all of that. I think a lot of subcontractors that have grown their company with, by working with us, they understand the value and that yes, they're going to get a lower, a lower total, uh, uh, price or the revenue from jobs that are coming from us or other painting contractors, but they don't have to worry about these other marketing costs. Um, and we've actually, and I'll explain this in more detail at the expo. Um, there's a way that these subcontractors, when they work for us, they can actually, um, net a higher margin than we do as the painting contractor. So we have, I think we have, we have a good five, six, maybe five to seven crews that work with us that um, I can guarantee that they, their margins are a lot higher than ours are as their biz, as a business owner. And they are the ones that run two or three crews. Um, mm -hmm. So I think if you're, like you said, I think uh, Nick Slavic and Jason also coined the phrase or the, the word cooperation. Like mm -hmm. you can't mm -hmm. go into a painting store or something and look at all the painters and, like with a, with, with a frowny face and be like, all right, what are they up to? You know, are they, right. you know, and, and I think a lot of the industry feels that way. And I think raising the standard in the industry is exactly what you're saying. View it as like, Hey, they're in the same industry and they know a lot and they, uh, I'm, I'm just going to assume that they're good at what they do. And there's so much market share that I don't have to worry about them taking my jobs. So why not like make that connection and make that a network and develop a business relationship relationship with these companies or these individuals so i i love what you said about like man just think of all the companies that can partner and um you know when you're do when you're doing it alone it's <laughs> there's a lot more highs and a lot more lows like and the extremes rather than you know if you're doing it with a network or you're getting knowledge fed to you or you're supplying the knowledge that's so valuable that I think um, that's part of what raising the bar in the industry means. And that's what we're about here at Paris Painting too. So I like what you said about that. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think that it is again, important to know and highlight that you said that in your recruiting process that you really do take the time to vet, you have a process for it. I think a lot of contractors are, who are um, using subcontractors, they, they fall in a trap of, they, they, you know, see a guy outside of Taco Bell and painters whites in a, in a van and say, you know, come on out. We'll just try out on this, on this project. Um, I think there's kind of this lack of understanding of what you can do with a subcontractor versus what you can do with an employee, because there's, you know, there's obvious, you know, compliance issues. There's obvious, like if you do this, this, and this, they're actually an employee versus you do this, this, and this, they're actually a sub. Um, but it sounds like you can really, I mean, before you ever engage in a, in a, in a contract, um, there's a lot of, uh, conversations that you can have that are just purely conversations. And, um, and that process is really critical to, uh, identifying their, their culture, um, their, uh, the expectations of, of quality, um, you know, the compliance, their process. Talk to me a little bit about how you manage, the expectations of the subcontractor coming in so that you know by that first or second job that you're completely on the same page about um, the the quality of work and the quality of service um yeah so we have uh with our orientation if they've made it to an orientation they obviously have passed the, the sniff test which is not the best test right um but they've made it past that test and we have we put them through a video. Sometimes it's not the video. Sometimes it's a slideshow, but, uh, the video of the slideshow, it explains 
our process as you know Paris paintings process um, very clearly. And so there's a part of it that it explains our process, and there's also a part of it that explains how a subcontractor can can work with Paris Painting and make it profitable and grow their business. So it's just one avenue which they can grow their business through. Um, but we, we, we give a little bit of snapshot into that. And then the third part of it is, here are the common mistakes and the errors that's, that painters make, whether they're employees or subcontractors, and here's the cost that it is going to cost or the consequences of those mistakes and making sure that the sub is super clear on, hey, if you get overspray on a roof, that's your issue and that's why you have insurance. But the same way that we want to train our employees to not get overspray on a roof, we expect the same out of the subcontractor. So stuff like that, straight lines, flashing, uh, uh, lat marks, uh, paint uh, chips on the ground, uh, all that stuff. Those are things that we go over. We have pictures about like, here's what's acceptable. Here's what's obviously not acceptable, but it's also something where we want to make sure that the sub knows that we have a, we will have a relationship with them if they start to work with us. And that means that we are going to be advocates for them. So if a, if a client comes and it comes to the job site and it's super unrealistic and like something was broken and it's quite obvious that house broken before we even got there, we are going to mm -hmm. advocate for the sub and the sub needs to know that, Hey, we're going to support you in that. Now you need to make sure you take pictures of these things before working so that you can provide some facts to, you know, for us to help sure. show, show the client. But I think the last part of that orientation is, Hey, you know, who Paris painting is, we're an open book. Right? We told you our system, that's how things are going to be. No ifs, ands, or buts, no surprises. And you also know what we're about as far as like we care about you as a sub. And ultimately, we want you to grow as an as a entrepreneur, as a, as a business, and for you to be able to provide jobs for your community. And I think everyone on my team is on that same page. And mm -hmm. I think it stems from everyone needs to be on that same page. And I think as a leader, I'm going to know if some of my people are just not doing it the right way as far as a culture standpoint, because the subs will come directly to me. They all know who I am. They'll by bypass my people to come to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, I really want to make sure I listen to them because they're important. So if that answers your question, there's probably three or four aspects of our orientation that we um, make clear with the subcontractor. And that, and that also we, get, we open the, the discussion to have them speak about like what's important to them. Uh, what are some of the pain points from other contractors that they worked with in the past? And uh, I just say, hey, I'm, we're going to be open with you guys and honest. I want you guys to be honest with us and communicating what you need. And if we can't meet those needs, I'm sorry, I'm not going to string you along just for the, the other penny, penny pinch and the money aspect of it. We're going to make sure that right. we can do what's right by you guys as well. Yeah. So really you talked about, um, recognizing in the past two or three years that, uh, diversifying your workforce and, you know, bringing in, uh, more, you know, other types of employees and you know, employees, actual W2 employees, um, you know, relative to your actual labor force, eight to 10 painters employed is not uh, a large, uh, percentage of your, of your worker base, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the things that, that I, you know, I, I want to talk about this idea of diversifying the work, um, force, because one of the concerns that I would have, um, and that I have had, you know, back when I was using the hybrid model was that, um, well, you know, I had one subcontractor that, you know, constituted half of my labor force. And so if I lost them or they didn't like a deal or they, uh, you know, you know, they, people make mistakes and when mistakes happen, look, you try to, you try to be nice, you try to be firm, you try to hold people accountable, but you know, if, if, you know, you butt heads too much or, or, you know, something gets said that shouldn't be said all of a sudden you could lose a big portion of your, of your labor force. And, and the reality is I know people who have a single subcontractors that have 20 employees on their team, and that's a significant portion of their uh, workforce. And so 
you know, I mean, I'm, I just have to think, okay, if you got, if you're a subcontractor and you got 20 employees, why haven't you hired a salesperson and uh, to pay them, you know, a 10% commission on the jobs that they sell and, and ditch your, your, uh, your contract? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, like what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I've, I've also, we've, I've met and worked with subs like that. And actually some of them do end up, you know, not going with us. They, they learn. And when they grow, they're like, all right, I, we can do the production side of things. I'm going to put another foot into the sales and marketing. And I think I can, I can do that. And some of them end up doing well. Some of them end up uh, figuring out that that's not for them. And that's actually super painful for them. And I would say for me, I come from a background of, with production and coordination. If I was running my business, I would, I don't want to do the marketing and sales. I, that's like super painful. Now I could, I could hire someone to do that, but then that's, uh, that's an, a step in my business that if I can make it work and I can get my margins um, where I want them to be while working with contractors and just subbing for them, I might as well do that because that's what I'm good at. So I would say that uh, for the subcontractor who is running, you know, 18 to 25 people, um, it means that they either are super good at managing their people or there's something fishy going on. Um, uh, and that's something as a contractor, if I hear a sub come to me and the first conversation we have is, um, Hey, how many guys do you have on your, in your business? And they're like, I got, I got over 20 people. Okay. Well, I want to know more about that. And that kind of, uh, it sparks a little bit of, uh, curiosity in me and what that actually means. But to your initial question about what if, what if, what if a contractor, what if our 50% of their labor force is this one sub? Right. What if, and you're putting a lot of your business and your success on this one sub, and that can do a couple of things for you. It could actually, um, uh, cause you to treat them more like employees, which is like legally, that's not okay, but it will do that mm-hmm. because you'll do a lot of things to make them stay. Right. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that might happen. But the other thing is, um, if they leave, you're kind of in a hole and, um, I don't think we've ever experienced that in Paris painting because we've never stopped recruiting. And that's another thing I've talked to a th- small business owners, small painting companies in the Metro here in Minneapolis and St. Paul that, um, they have a hard time keeping up with the subcontractor and, you know, their turnover is high. And the first question I ask is, um, how, like, what's your culture like, like, how do you interact with them? But the t- second thing is, how often do you recruit? Because it's not just like a, all right, I'm going to recruit in January through March for the new year and I'll be good. It's, you got to continually recruit, continue to do these orientations because you're going to have the subcontractors that are going to go on vacation. They're going to leave you. They're going to start their own thing in a different area. They're going to find someone who pays better. Uh, There's so many things that will make a subcontractor leave you, whether they're good things or negative things. So, a part of it, and I have a really good diagram in my presentation at the, for my session for the PCA Expo, and I, I lay out what is a smart plan when you, when you use subcontractors on uh, how much capacity should you have? Uh, how many people, how, much, how many subcontractors do you need to be in contact with to make sure that if you have one of your two biggest or one or two of your biggest subcontractors leave you for a period of time, how quickly can you recover and uh, reach out to your subcontractor base that you aren't doing as much work with and how quickly mm-hmm. can you, you know, play Tetris with your labor force and not just filling the holes, but Hey, we had a subcontractor that left us for whatever the reason, uh, we'd like to give you more opportunities for more jobs, uh, and then uh, make it a positive for some of these other crews. And we also tell people, Hey, if, if your quality is not where we want it to be, um, we have other crews that would love the opportunity to do more work with us. So, um, I don't know if that answers your question. We like to have a rule of thumb is 125% capacity. So if we need to have a hundred thousand dollars a week capacity, I better be able to say that we can produce $125,000 a week, um, in these subcontractors who aren't doing as much work with us. So mm. 
I always speak to my project managers. They're responsible for recruiting and retaining their, their labor that, hey, I'm going to be looking at your your portfolio or your, your capacity, your labor force, and I'm going to make sure that um, we're not having one sub be or more than 50% of your labor. And that's just, I, I think that's, that's risky. And I, I've always been one to not like putting myself in risky situations. And I think, uh, yeah, that requires more work, consistent recruiting, consistent vetting, a lot of orientations, but man, is it worth it when, you know, things happen in the economy or in these subcontractors businesses that we can't control. And as, as a subcontractor, I can't tell them how to run the business. I can't train them. I can't do all this, but I can have, uh, you know, in my back pocket or my front pocket, so to speak, networks of subcontractors that would be more than willing to do some more work with us. So uh, that's a long uh, winded answer, but I hope it provides some context from how we. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you mentioned, um, I can't remember if we, we talked about this before, uh, we went on air or, or if you mentioned it during, but you mentioned the, the, the idea that you guys were, um, actively trying to add more employees um, and, and kind of, uh, you know, I don't know to what extent, but what, um, what brought on that development in the past couple of years? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's actually been more in the past year, or I should say maybe even the past, yeah, about, you know, 12 months or so, um, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, obviously we don't have a long summer season, exterior season. You know, we have probably November through if we're lucky March. You know, so that's a good four to five months of only interior work. So it stemmed from, you know, doing interior work. Obviously, there's there's more eyeballs on your work. Homeowners are a lot more picky with what they expect from interior work. So it's a, it's a different animal than doing exterior commercial or residential. So mm-hmm. we realized that, you know, there we cannot control subcontractors in the way that you can control employees. And what I what what I mean by control is um uh, we have more of an impact and influence with how we train our employees, the quality that we expect and how we solve problems. Um, so we, we have a couple really good painters that work for us as employees. And if we get a job that comes in from a sales or that, you know, maybe this is one that's a risky job and we want to make sure that we have a ton of control over the outcome. An employee is a lot better, a, a lot uh, safer option than a subcontractor. Even though we know a subcontractor probably has the same skills as as our employee, it's just that we control more of it. And from a customer experience point of view, that's huge. So uh, those are the the scenarios that we found ourselves saying I, we were super glad that we had our employees employees handle this project. Um, mm-hmm. And. It, it, you know, we hit the bottom line, they're successful, they're good at what they do, so we're making margin. So why not increase our labor force and, and, and take more control of the outcome, so to speak? And I know, you know, we're really good at, you know, holding that line between subcontracting and W-2s. You know, every state, I mean, every state has their, their laws or their guidelines and what constitutes one or the other. We make sure that we're pretty involved with that and, you know, we're not going to treat ourselves like employees. So. When something like uh, uh, the necessity for controlling the outcome comes into play, man, I uh, worse uh, the value that employee brings is is very high. So I don't know if that explains uh, uh, or answers the question, but I think that control aspect is huge for us. Well, yeah, I think that um, you know, I mean, it's it's the old adage, you know, you can't you can't have uh, all your eggs in one basket. You know, uh, and and there, you know, so many nuances to different projects, different types of customer personalities, different types of uh, oversights that are involved. That it, I think, if you are going to um, run with uh, with subcontractors, I mean, it, for me at least, it only ever made sense to do a hybrid model because I just, for the same re- reasons that you you know stated, um, you know, the the it's it's not about controlling the individual it's about being able to control the the process and the problem solving mechanisms Um, because if there is an issue that goes you know it kind of goes sideways there's a degree to which it's just completely in the subcontractor's hands and you can't 
really involve yourself without, you know, misclassifying the worker. And so, you know, with employee, obviously, if there are those, you know, if the, if the stakes are higher, um, then sometimes it makes sense. I mean, I, I mean, like, I think it always makes sense, but, um, it makes a lot of sense if you're gonna have, uh, you know, subcontractors to at least have that ace in your hole. And, and there's also, you know, I mean, there are times where, um, you know, where a job does go sideways for whatever reason, you have to fire the subcontractor or the subcontractor just quits. And then you've got a job that's, you know, halfway done. Well, how do you bring in another subcontractor to finish that job out? I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's messier and it's not as easy. And I think that the subcontractor that you bring in to fix, uh, or finish up, isn't going to love that job or that the, the, you know, the environment because the customer has gotten hostile. And so to me, it's like, well, if, if something like that comes up, then you know, send your employees in to, you know, to pick up the pieces and yeah, it sucks, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. 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 And it's more expensive too. If you try to get another sub to finish a job, you know, it's going to cost probably a lot more to have them go in to do it for a, you know, a, a straight price rather than, you know, your employees going out there, you're paying them by the hour. And, um, it's probably going to be, you know, less expensive in the long run if, if you to do that, uh, yeah. that way. So, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you can kind of mitigate the, you know, the fallout a lot better. So, so the last thing that I want to talk about, and then we'll, we'll, you know, wrap up here, but, uh, culture, um, you know, the, I, I've, there are a handful of shops that I've talked to where when they talk about their team culture, um, it comes out that they're really kind of exclusively talking about their office team, not mm -hmm. their subcontractors. It's, there's a clear dividing line between the employed office people and the subcontractors. But I don't get the sense that you guys believe that there should be that much of a division. Um, how do you, um, how do you incorporate team culture when you're, uh, building out a subcontractor model. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly, that's what excites me the most. And I think that's because I've seen, heard and read about, uh, experiences and, uh, situations where that is, um, done very poorly, that culture aspect. So I'm super passionate and excited about talking about the culture and, and, and how, how do you make it exciting and, how do you provide value and show that they do provide value talking with subcontractors. But I think the same way we would do, you know, company meetings, company outings, socials with our employees. We do that with our subs too on a, on a large scale. We go out to, you know, Minnesota United, the soccer team in, in St. Paul. Um, we have a, a subcontracting or subcontractor appreciation night. Uh, we have barbecues at our, at our office space. We invite a lot of our subs uh, over but also my PMs are encouraged to get to know the subs on a personal level. So when you check in, Hey, how you doing? You know, what'd you do over the weekend and, and treat them as humans. I mean, it's, it's a simple, it's simple. Uh, it's a simple ask. And some people are better at building those relationships than others. But also, um, I think it's respectful language and the way you speak and interact with um, your subs, just the same way, the way you speak and interact with your coworkers or your W2 employees, um, there has to be a mutual respect and, uh, not, not a, I'm holier than thou mindset. Like just mm -hmm. be serious and sincere about it. Very few people can be sincere, um, and be fake about it. People are going to notice it. They're going to sniff that out. You have to be sincere. Um, and it works it works. And it's honestly, it's a, it's a thing that it's not, if it's not instilled in your organization, as far as, you know, with subcontractors or W2s, I think it's a lot of work to retain good people. And, um, honestly, it makes the culture a lot, uh, a lot easier to work with them and a lot less stressful, I would say. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's what you said to Orlando, they're human, right. And they're no yeah. greater, no lesser than we are. And it's like, it's a lot of fun if you actually take the time 
and invest in them as people. If you don't do that, um, you're going to realize that a lot of pain is going to come from, you know, not investing in them as people. You're going to have a lot of turnover. You're not going to be able to, they're not going to respect you either, right? We have subs mm-hmm. who will go above right. and beyond for us. They're getting the same price, regardless if they, you know, if they spend this amount of time or that amount of time, they respect us and they want to make sure that, that, uh, we're satisfied and they provide us value. So right. it's a two way street. And, and some of the subs, they're like, man, thanks for everything you do. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we're like, no, thank you. And, uh, and that mutual respect goes a long way. So I mean, you're going to find different ways in different markets. And we have some barbecues that we've thrown that one out of, out of our 30 to 50 subcontractors showed up and maybe that's not the way to show appreciation and to show that you care. And maybe that's not the way of doing it. Maybe it's a soccer game. Maybe it's a, um, something else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I, I think that, uh, that, that the folks that attend the expo are going to, um, get a lot out of your conversation, your, your talk, um, especially if they're, um, if they're currently using the subcontractor model and are, are looking for ways to, um, kind of mitigate some of the risks and the pitfalls of it. Um, and, and especially for those who are, uh, uh, doing it incorrectly. I mean, there's certainly uh, people out there who are very much doing it incorrectly. They saw it as a way to, um, make their lives easier just from a a tax compliance standpoint. I don't think that's why you do it. If you're going to do it, I think it's, it's gotta be about finding, um, the people where they're at in the right place. So, um, yeah, check out, um, I I think our listeners, if you're going to expo, definitely check out, uh, Mark session. Do you know what, do you happen to know what day you're speaking on yet? Is that schedule? I think, um, you know, I think it's Friday morning. Um, okay. I I think it's Friday morning, but I'll I'll have to double check. All right. So Friday morning, uh, but you know, check that schedule. Um, you know, don't party too hard on that, uh, Sherwin night cause you're going to want to be able to wake up and get to his <laughs> event. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, this has been a good conversation. I'm, I'm appreciative of you for, uh, for being on, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited for the expo and, um, really excited to have a lot of open discussion too. Cause you know, what I have learned is, you know, it's centralized around the twin cities and excited to hear some more stories from other people. So I'm excited. Thanks for having me on and excited to see a lot of, a lot of you guys at the expo. Awesome. All right. Mark Nelson with Paris painting a uh, good conversation, um, about the, the subcontractor, uh, model. It's always a hot debate. And, um, you know, I think that wherever you fall on the line of, of, of your willingness to use it, you just have to be, uh, very, um, aware of what you're doing. And, and, you know, I don't, um, just because I personally choose the, the, uh, employee model as a, as my preferred thing, um, you know, doesn't mean that I'm going to, um, you know, look down on anybody else for, uh, choosing to become successful in other ways. I think for me, the key is, um, remembering that they are people, you know, they're, they're just because they're subcontractors, it doesn't mean they're subhuman. And so you cannot treat them that way. And I think that if you are, um, a business owner and you're going to use a subcontractor model, uh, it, it better not be purely because you're trying to, uh, reduce your own headaches with regards to administrative work. Make sure that the people that you are choosing, um, to be, you know, to, to work for you, that, um, that that is their preferred choice, that they prefer to be a subcontractor. If they prefer, and and look, you got to find the best people and the best people, um, you know, the best person that you come across happens to run their own company, then actually treat it like a business partnership and a relationship where you are uh, providing mutual benefit. You're taking uh, things off their plate and they're taking things off of yours. Um, I, I would advise not to uh, take your employees and turn them into 1099s to save some money. Don't do that. Um, but uh, great conversation. Um, grateful to uh, the folks at uh, uh, Jason uh, at, at the Paris Painting. Grateful to, to Mark Nelson. Um, 
this episode of uh, Paint Ed is is uh, streaming on all the podcast platforms that you're aware of. It's also on PCA Overdrive. Uh, make sure that you go check that out. Um, and uh, yeah, check out my book. You know, I'm going to promote this until I write my next one. Uh, <laughs> get Sprint on Amazon.com. Search for Tolando and the word Sprint and it'll pop up. Uh, until next time, uh, folks, I'm Torlando. Great to have you listening today. Uh, happy painting. And this has been Paint Ed. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.